Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the M&A and Private Equity Group at Steichman Alley. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Shez Banduquala. Shez is the Managing Director at KPMG's Corporate Finance Group. Shez, I wanted to welcome you and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mario. Very happy to be on. Shez, we always start our podcast by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. And I have to preview that I'm looking forward to probing a little bit about your history because it's an interesting history. So I'm getting you psyched up for what's to come. We always start by finding out a little bit more about you, about your work at KPMG and about the group. So I'd love to start there. Again, thank you for having me on. Uh, looking forward to it. So just a real quick history on myself. So I'm a career investment banker. I've been doing this for 30 years always in the middle market arena, spent my entire career in the U.S., come right out of business school, worked for some of the traditional investment banks for a number of years, and about 11 years ago, joined KPMG in the U.S., ran one of their practice areas in investment banking for the last 10 years. About a year ago, I moved up to Toronto to help run the practice here. So pretty significant change, but was happy to come. And KPMG overall is a very focused most people know the other parts of KPMG, whether it's audit or tax, but we have about 2,500 bankers globally and offices throughout the world. Canada is one of our largest practices. We're very active in Canada, so it's been a great run. Shez, I find it obviously fascinating for you to have spent so many years in U.S. mid-market investing banking and to take that experience, that perspective, and obviously bring it to our marketplace. I think it's obviously great for our marketplace to have you. I would love to focus a bit on discussing a bit of, you know, you've been here now for a year, you've had an opportunity to see our marketplace in action, and you can provide a little perspective on what you see in our marketplace, I guess, the kind of comparators, the, the unique things you see in Canada, what you find notable or unique about our marketplace. Happy to touch on that. I mean, one of the main reasons I came up is there is tremendous opportunity here in Canada with you know continued growth in the economy and the companies. It's still relatively a untapped marketplace versus the U.S., which has become very efficient uh, over the years. And that's what I still see here is that it is a little more inefficient market here in Canada. It's driven by multiple reasons. One is the landscape of private equity is very different in Canada than it is in the U.S. For example, there's 50 committed funds, private equity funds in the Canada versus 3,500 committed funds in the U.S. So we're talking about a 70-fold difference, right? So there's a lot of capital there in the U.S., which is also, by the way, very interested in doing Canadian deals. But because of that discrepancy, kind of over the years, I've seen that there's probably a kind of a five-year gap between Canada and the U.S., whether it's on how deals are done, whether it's on valuation, whether it's on how much debt or how conservative the leverage is. There's a little bit of a gap, which also creates an opportunity. One was one of the opportunities for me to bring that efficiency I was seeing in the U.S. to the Canadian markets. And that has definitely played out even in the short time uh, I've been here. As I know in the United States, you know, there's a lot of specialization that happens in investment banking. But when you come to Canada, you know, we're really more of a generalist market. You kind of work on different sectors. And I want to get your perspective on a bit about where you came from and what you focused on and kind of what you're seeing in our marketplace today in terms of the sectors you work on and what you focus on. And just generally speaking, the kind of deals you see in our marketplace. Oh, that's a great point. Yes, I was very specialized in the U.S. and most of the U.S. market in terms of bankers and specialists do specialize by industry because that's the nature of the market there. 
here it has been much more generalist, which honestly has been a lot of fun, right? It goes back to my old roots when I started in banking, which was much more of a generalist. And the market here doesn't require that as much. It's much more of a relationship-driven market. You clearly need to understand what drives variety of businesses in different sectors. And over time, if you've done enough deals in different spaces, you kind of understand that. But you'd struggle, unless you're kind of an oil and gas banker here, and in living in Calgary, you'd kind of struggle. Most bankers who are doing big volumes would struggle if they were just narrowly focused on an industry. I have to ask you a question that I know our guests will want me to probe on, which is there's always this take that Canadian businesses sell for less than U.S. businesses or the comparative businesses. And I'm your thoughts on valuations in Canada. You've kind of been at it a year now. You've seen a little bit of the flavor, but I mean, there's always this perspective in Canada that this deal was in the U.S. It would sell for X or Y more. Love to get your perspective on that. What you see from a valuations perspective in Canada? There is some truth to that. Let's affectionately call it the Canadian discount. Where that applies is if you have a business that tends to be locally focused, whether it's in the GTA, whether it's in Canada, and it's at subscale size. And if you aren't actively taking that business to North American or global buyers, if you're just focused on Canadian buyers, there's going to be a valuation gap. The Canadian buyers, whether it's private equity or strategic, have historically been a little more conservative. Now that has changed and is changing as these same buyers in Canada are competing with U.S. buyers and global buyers, assuming the deal is being marketed to that, that valuation gap is going away. So we're seeing it in transactions all the time. But there's still a number of deals that are local in nature and being marketed to local buyers. And just given that there is such a discrepancy of capital in Canada versus the U.S., there's going to be you know more value pressure. Not to mention the Canadian overall leverage markets on those type of deal tend to be more conservative than the U.S. leverage markets. The Canadian lenders, the senior lenders are aggressive, but the overall leverage tends to be more conservative, which kind of limits the amount of valuation that can be applied to a deal. There's a gap, how to quantify it, hard to tell, but there definitely is a gap in those situations. Just one of the things we notice in the Canadian market is the way that investment bankers go to market in Canada is different than in the U.S. And, you know, the U.S. banker kind of really goes for what I call the broad approach, you know, send the book to every person you could think of, you know, the 500 potential buyers kind of spread it across, whereas in Canada tends to be a bit more of a tailored processes and You've experienced both of them now. I'm curious to get your thoughts on pros and cons, which you see. And frankly, there's a culture to Canada in terms of sending the book out to fewer people and efficiencies that it provides and the certainty. But, you know, some people in the U.S. will criticize that as just not being, you know, fair to a seller. So I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the uniqueness of the Canadian process versus the U.S. processes when you're in the middle of it, particularly given, you know, you were so much experience doing it for so many years. That is true. And it's changing and we're changing that. I'm changing that. Buyers always want to feel special that they're exclusive. The reality is you're trying to find the best fit for a seller. Some of that may be value driven by value. Some of that may be strategic fit or cultural fit. So it is in the best interest to the seller. I'm not talking about broad auctions. 
But there is a broad group of buyers, especially on the private equity side. On the strategic side, you're always going to focus on what makes sense. Who are the type of companies that drive the right type of synergies with sellers? And whether that's five strategics or that might be 45 strategics, just depends on the industry that the business is in. On the private equity side, the U.S. players have to go broader because there's, as I said, 3,500 private equity players versus 50. That doesn't mean you show it to 3,500. Those private equity players are aligned by whether it's an industry that they like or don't like, whether it's a situation, whether it's a stage. So you still have to make sure you're showing it to the appropriate people. But it doesn't do anybody any good to just go to a small handful of players. Now, the ones that it makes the most sense for will always end up differentiating. What you want to create a situation that it's aligned for the buyer, that it's going to make the most sense, and which creates the most value for the seller and ultimately creates the most value for the buyer in terms of post-deal. So I firmly believe in not a wide auction, but going broad enough to make sure you identify that. Because if you cherry pick it too much, right, if you're going to go with a real rifle shot approach, you create a lot of risk. Other people, buyers have other deals going on at any time, although it may be a great fit. They may have other priorities at the time. You don't want as a banker cherry pick it versus letting the market dictate that. Just there's a feeling that Canadian buyers are more focused on, there's a word for it, but cultural fit, that they'll look ultimately less at the price and they will look at other factors. And in fact, I've heard private equity firms from the U.S. say they like the Canadian sellers because they don't just focus on price. And honestly, it's anecdotal. So I want to get your thoughts if that's what you see. You know, now you've seen both markets. Is there a, a difference in the Canadian seller, what they're looking for? Or is at the end of the day, price is price? And no matter what anybody tells you, <laughs> price will win. Price will win. Well, I think, again, it depends on strategic buyer versus private equity buyer. One thing that's evolved in the market in North America, and I'll address it to strategic buyers first, is cultural fit for the buyer was always very important. It's always been kind of important for the seller, putting aside value. But people have evolved from that strategy as a buyer because one of the fundamental things you're buying in a company is the culture that they have that has made that company unique. So you try to force fit your culture as a buyer onto the target that you're buying. That's been proven not to work well. You want to maintain that unique culture. So force fitting people's culture into your culture is not a great acquisition strategy from a strategic buyer. From a private equity buyer, I think cultural fit in you know having a management team that wants to drive growth. And I think one of the things that the Canadian sellers, where they're still catching up to U.S. sellers, is that there has always been a little bit of a distrust of the private equity market, not necessarily for any good reason, just because it's the unknown, right? And you hear stuff or you see stuff, whether it's in the press or in movies, and sets a image of the private equity universe, which isn't true and far from true. In fact, private equity universe is buying companies to build and grow them, not to cut and slash, right? That's not the mode of operation in the middle market. It's to invest in a company that they can grow. And so it's for us, I'm spending a lot of time educating sellers on why this universe, why this private equity universe is actually a great buying universe. And in fact, it's becoming the new strategic. So if you look at 2012, 23% of all M&A deals were sold to private equity firms. This past year, it's up to like 37%. That's a dramatic change. And that's going to continue to grow because we're sitting on so much private equity capital. And those private equity buyers aren't just doing financial engineering anymore. 
they're adding real value, whether it's on elements on how to grow your company, how to invest in the infrastructure, especially true in middle market companies, right? There's a lot they need to invest in internally to drive growth. How do you make acquisitions? So they're adding a lot of strategic value. They're bringing synergies to the table, which is different than the synergies that strategics brought to the table. And they're offering where appropriate, the ownership groups, what they call a second bite of the apple to kind of continue to grow the company and take a lot more money off the table at the next stage. So they've become a very prevalent source. Back to your question, the culture is important in the sense of aligning with ownership and management team. It's all about the management team, right? They're investing in the people. That's the key fundamental of these businesses at this stage, especially at the middle market stage. It's so driven by the people. So having the people that want to drive growth in the company becomes very important to the buyer. You kind of hint on where I want to go next, which is what you're seeing in the market, the buyers, the activity. And, and you know, obviously, we got all these macro forces that are hitting us whether it's war, inflation, interest rates. What are you seeing in the marketplace today? I guess, what's your perspective in terms of where the market is, what activity is going on, and what's keeping you busy? Yeah, no, it's a fascinating question because there's obviously a number of factors happening, as you mentioned, inflation, looming recession, the war, which has created number of supply chain issues, labor shortage, which is unique. Usually when you have a looming recession, you don't have that shortage in labor. But you know, right now what we're seeing is the activity in the middle market remains pretty strong. It's the mega deals that have taken a big hit. You know, we're talking $10 billion plus deals. I tend not to play in that space, but that's where you've taken the biggest hit because valuations have come down. And if you look at the overall market, you see the public valuations of companies have come down, but the private valuations on M&A deals on the lower middle market have stayed pretty stable. So that arbitrage between public and private deals has gone down dramatically. And usually with the mega deals, which don't have that arbitrage as much on those mega deals, those have come down because those valuations, obviously as the public markets have taken a hit, have come down. But I see a, a decent amount of activity right now. It's down from the activity of 2021. But that's in reality an unfair comparison, right? 2021 was a record year. So we had these dynamics that occurred because 2020 took such a hit that, you know, some of that 2021 activity was a, a makeup of 2020. And because the public markets were really strong, there were some companies that would have normally waited another year to sell that also sold in 2021. So you had compression of 2020 and 2022 deals collapsed into 2021. Now, 2022, can't say what's normal, but there's still a fair amount of activity. It's just nowhere near the 2021 levels, which are so high, which is fine for everybody, except for any of the banking firms or M&A law firms that built up staff to think that 2021 was going to be replicable going forward. Just I always ask our guests uh, the crystal ball question, which is where do they think the market is going and you know where do they see themselves? And so I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, again, as we talked about these macro forces of how it's going on. I mean, it sounds like you're keeping busy, which is great for me, by the way. So I'm happy that you're busy. Where do you see things going? You've said the word, the recession that seems to be looming. Your thoughts and what your your group's perspective on 23 and what's to come. Yeah, and I tend to first step back and I look at this in kind of 20-year windows, right, which helps me formulate at least my perspective on what's going to happen. The major downturns you saw in the M&A markets you know, happened in 2009 for obvious reasons. It happened in 2020 during COVID. It also happened when GDP went to negative 
in 2020. It was actually still negative in 2021, but when MMA markets started to rise again, right now GDP is still in the positive territory. I think we're going to be fine in the middle market. I have to narrow it down to where the areas I care on. As long as the equity markets are stable, which even with this looming recession, I'm a firm believer in the efficient markets. If you look at the equity markets, which are very efficient, if you look at the Dow, and if the Dow is factoring in whatever may potentially happen, and in general, it's been fairly stable. You know, you had the big hit that it took early on, but now you have kind of stable levels and recession is factored into that pricing. So as long as those equity markets stay within these bands and don't take a major downturn, which I don't expect it to do, I think the M&A market will follow. So again, it'll be reduced levels versus 2021. But even if it's at the levels that we were in 2017, 2018, 2019, those are very healthy levels of M&A activity, which will keep the cycle going. The other thing that could impact it is obviously the lending market and interest rates, which we touched on, you know, leveraged loan market has been a little more challenged. Interest rates have gone up, which puts pressure on valuation. So I think the potential recession kind of slows down some of the inflation and interest rate increases. That will provide a little bit of stability on that. And if we're not dealing with all the lenders having to restructure their whole portfolio, they'll start to get active in the market again. The things that are different than when we've had this before, we have a lot more money in the market. We're sitting on three times as much private equity dry powder than we sat on 10 years ago. That money has to be deployed to deals. And we're sitting on that much more private debt. Putting aside what the banks do, right? The major banks in Canada or the major banks in the US, there's a lot more private debt out there that again, those funds have to be deployed. When you're a bank, you don't have to deploy it. Or if you're a strategic and you're sitting on a lot of cash, you don't have to deploy it to M&A. But the private equity funds do have to deploy it. Again, we're sitting on almost three times as much capital as we were sitting on 10 years ago. I want to add to that, Chiz. I always like to say this is, this is the advantage of being a private equity lawyer. They have to transact one way or the other. They have to transact. That's what they do for a living is transact. So yeah. couldn't agree with you more. And what they're getting so good at is finding opportunities that they can change an industry landscape. And we see that in so many deals where they're finding creative ways to not only buy platforms but put stories together to take industries that weren't private equity back before and really grow those segments, things that you would never think that could be sexy growth stories have become that under the ownership of private equity. So we're going to see that cycle kind of continue and they'll continue to find new opportunities because there's so much capital. You have some very smart people that have come behind these stories, finding the next wave of activity. Agreed. Whoever thought, Chez, that HVAC was so hot? <laughs> <laughs> you could say that for a number of seconds, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, well so. Chez, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been super interesting on many levels. I mean, being able to tap into your U.S. experience and talking a bit about the difference between Canada and the U.S., I think it's greatly appreciated and super insightful. And thank you again. Great to have you in our marketplace. Sounds like it's been a great year and hopefully you'll uh, continue to keep pushing the deals for us. We need you. <laughs> we need you to keep finding deals. So well, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Mario. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm super excited to be here. Been wanted to be here for a long time. Uh, look forward to continuing our discussion. Take care. Bye-bye.